Good morning, this is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon. Most football fans know the success story of Coach Vince Lombardi's days with Green Bay and Coach Tom Landry's days with Dallas. But what may not be as well known are the details of their shared relationship. That is until now. WFUV's Ricky Sobrano and Kyle Kessis sit down with author Ernie Palladino to discuss his book, Lombardi and Landry, how two of pro football's greatest coaches launched their legends and changed the game forever. Ernie, how are you doing? Oh, fantastic, guys. It's, it's, it, you know, it's great to be back here. It's, it's coming home again for me and, and uh, just, just a fantastic, fantastic experience here. So, uh, you know, I always feel at home. So I guess the first question is, how did the idea for this book come about? Well, I, I, I like to tell people that, that this is a product of failure um, because it came from a failed uh, book proposal. I had written a piece on, uh, on Giants, uh, great Giants defensive lieutenants for the, uh, for the Maple Street Press, which was a... Um, kind of a glossy Street and Smiths type uh, publication that, that was centered around each team. So so the guy I know, knew was doing the, the Giants one, and he asked me if I'd like to do this this centerpiece piece based around Perry Fuel and what have you. Um, after the, the article came out, I started thinking, geez, I wonder if, um, I wonder if there's a book in these notes. Because I had quite a bit of stuff, and it was interesting stuff. So I wrote up a proposal, and my friend at the Daily News, uh, Ralph Vacchiano, who did uh, Eli Manning, The Making of a Quarterback, uh, said, look, send it, send it off to my editor, Mark Weinstein at, uh, at Skyhorse uh, Publishing, and uh, he'll give you a fair read on it. He's a good guy. He knows what he's doing. He'll give you a fair read on it. And Mark got back to me in a couple of weeks after reading this proposal, and he said, you know what, you have two books here. One of them is never going to sell. It's absolutely, it deals with too many of the, the Giants losing seasons, and it's never, people just aren't interested. But there's a whole Vince Lombardi wave going on. Now, remember, this didn't include Vince Lombardi. Tom Landry was the, the defensive assistant under Jim Lee Howell. He said, if you can rewrite this thing and include Lombardi, you might be able to catch the tail end of this whole Lombardi wave that includes the documentaries, the, the Broadway play, and everything. People are wild about it. And, of course, as a Giants beat writer, I've been doing it for 22 years, and I knew the history of the team anyway. I knew darn well that these two had served on the same staff at the same time. So I said, sure, you know, uh, so I rewrote it, and Skyhorse bought the idea, and they gave me eight months to write the book. So it was basically out of a rejected proposal that we tinkered with and, and, and made acceptable uh, for publication. They gave me the opportunity, and this was my first book. So, of course, I followed every piece of advice Mark gave me, and, and, uh, and this is the finished product. Now, obviously, this book dealing with Lombardi and Landry, who have long since passed on, so you couldn't talk to them. So how did you go about researching this book? Well, uh, first, uh, my first order of business was to hire a gypsy so that I could talk to them. 
Um, there was a lot of crystal ball stuff and channeling and what have you. But uh, uh, seriously, there, my first order of business was trying to track down the players. And it wasn't as hard as you think because there's not that many of them left. They're all dead. Uh, and it's a very select group who are still around, guys like Sam Huff, uh, uh, Frank Gifford, Dick Modulesky. You know, they're, they're all in their 80s, but at least they're still around and they're still coherent. Rosie Greer, you know, he was wonderful to talk to. So that handful of players was, was, uh, was key to me. I had to get, and like Ernie, of course, he said, uh, the former general manager of the Giants, I ran into him while I was doing the book. I, I said, I'm going to have to talk to these players. He said, you better talk fast. Because <laughs> a lot of them are on their way out, um, so so that became a primary thing. And there were a couple of players that I couldn't get to. I kept calling Alex Webster. I couldn't get through to him. Um, I tried to get Harlan Zavari, uh, who was a linebacker on that team, future head coach. Um, couldn't make contact with him. Um, Pat Summerall. Uh, I ran into in the men's room at uh, the new Meadowland Stadium and asked him for an interview. I'd been looking for him high and low for months, and I went to the Giants-Dallas game and uh, ran into him in the men's room and set up an interview right there. I said, I'll bet you you've never been accosted in a men's room for an interview before. He says, no, that's a first. Um, but this is how things happen. Um my second order of business was to dig up as much as I could on both coaches research-wise, and that involved uh, many visits to the New York Public Library and calls to other libraries, too, um, to fill in various factual gaps or, or just to, to get entire chapters out of out of the uh, uh, the clips, the um, the newspaper clips that are on microfilm, I spent hours and hours in there, uh, six seven hours at a time, just going over the old newspapers and the old columnists and the old writers, uh, and reading books that are now no longer available to you uh, outside of the public library. So that was a very time consuming thing. It was very rewarding and interesting. But it took an immense amount of time. Um, and then, you know, there was the, the viewing of game film. Uh, the Giants were fantastic. The Giants video crew held my hand. And because I'm a technological imbecile, um, I wouldn't know the, you know, the front of a, a tape machine from the back of it. Uh, but they helped me get through the uh, the uh, Giants uh, highlight film in 1956, and I actually saw what was happening, and I took notes off of that and used them. Uh, so there was game film, there was documentary stuff. Uh, the Giants had put out uh, a documentary film on uh, on the greatest game ever played, uh, NFL Films, the 1958 championship game. Took copious notes off of that. So there were a lot of moving parts to this. And, 
And and just putting it all together then was was a task in itself because I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I had no idea that I, what kind of product I was putting out or anything. Just total seat of the pants stuff, and somehow it got organized and and uh, and and it turned out okay, I guess, um, because it seems to be getting a good reception. Ernie, you began to tell the story of these two legends when they started with the Giants under Jim Lee Howe. Um, do you think that either of these coaches or both of them could have been as successful or could have been successful at all without first working under Jim Lee Howe with the Giants? That's, uh, uh, that, that's an interesting question. I think, um, first of all, uh, without the Giants' assistantship um those years, I don't think Tom Landry would have been a coach at all. And it had nothing to do with training and honing your, your talents. Um, he had actually gone into playing. He was a defensive back for the Giants uh, and the New York Yankees before then in the uh, old AAFC um, simply as a way to pay for his schooling. He had, play, he had every plan to go into the oil business as an industrial engineer. And this was simply a way of paying off his his college bills. He got a master's out of the University of Houston in 1952, and he had college bills and a family to feed. He was married in 48, and, um, you know, he had, he had bills, and he said, okay, this is a good way to kind of bridge the gap. Um, when he got into coaching, um, I think it wasn't until 1956 where he really believed, started believing that he could be a head coach. Now, by then, his legend had started to grow because the the Yankee Stadium crowds started cheering for the defense as opposed to the offense. That had never been heard before in the NFL. Um, you know, it was always the ground gainers and the pass catchers who, go, who garnered it. And now they're hearing, hearing uh, uh, chants of huff, huff, huff. And uh, and defense, defense, that's where it all started. So then he got the idea that, hey, maybe maybe I can do coaching for a couple of years until they fire me. And then once they fire me, I could go into the oil business. I could fall back on that. Well, and, well, sadly for Tom, he never did get into the oil business. He lasted 29 years as a as a uh, as a head coach. As for Lombardi. I think he would have found his way into head coaching um, uh, one way or the other, whether it was as an assistant with the Giants or or as a head coach of a college team. His problem was getting a job because uh, he had always wanted to be a head coach. Uh, Ever since he graduated from Fordham in 37, he geared his life toward coaching. He wasn't really big enough to play the game professionally did a little bit of semi-pro for a couple of years. Uh, but he became uh, the head coach at uh, St. Cecilia's in uh, in New Jersey and had a tremendous winning streak. They had won 36 in a row under him and a couple of state titles. And uh, I believe that had it not been for uh, whether he perceived it or whether it was real, in, in, in at least one case, there was prejudice against Italians back then. Uh, Wake Forest actually told him, we will not have a coach here with a vowel at the end of his last name. 
Um, so he was battling that. But I think eventually he would have landed on some staff, maybe not the Giants, but, but some staff, and, and he would have ascended to a head coach because that's where his objects uh, objectives lied. Now, you talked about Landry, and it seems miraculous to me that he sort of stumbled into this great, it became an excellent coach and it became a legend in the industry. Do you think there was something about the coaching industry that turned him off initially, or do you think it was just a lack of self-confidence, which you seem to touch on? No, I don't think it, it was certainly not a lack of self-confidence. I mean, Tom Landry was very, very sure of himself. He was what you would call an intellectual coach. Uh, along the lines of a Bill Belichick, I, th- I think Belichick can, can, can best be compared to Landry in, in modern day. Two guys who never said a whole lot publicly, but are, are, were geniuses, were defensive geniuses. And Landry used to tell his players, he said, you know, he was the first one to, to, to have them reading keys and, and studying actual uh, actual plays and 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 skeletons of uh, of the play and knowing what every position was going to do and he would say he talk about frequencies when they line up in a two back one one behind the other in the eye they're going to do one of three things well the players would say well, what if they don't do that he says don't worry they will they will and 90% of the time they did and he was he was right on about that, and it was about execution. So there was no lack of confidence uh, in in Landry's ability to coach a team or 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 run strategy or or whatever. I think it, it was just that he just had no intentions originally of of really ascending into the into the head coaching business. Like I say, he was just he was just content for a while. To uh, to pay off his college bills, it was a good way to do it. He loved the sport, and it was it was a great way to pay off the bills. Ricky Sobrano and Kyle Kess is talking to Ernie Palladino, Fordham class of '77. He covered the Giants for 22 years on the Giants beat, and the author of the new book Lombardi and Landry: How Two of Pro Football's Greatest Coaches Launched Their Legends and Changed the Game Forever. Now, Ernie Lombardi and Landry. Both obviously great coaches, but personality-wise, they were pretty much polar opposites, weren't they? Diametric opposites, exactly. Wellington Mara uh, described the difference perfectly. He said, "He said you could hear Vince Lombardi from five blocks away. You couldn't hear Tom Landry from the next chair." I mean, th- this is how 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 opposite these guys were. Uh, Lombardi enjoyed a drink every once in a while. Uh, when he became coach of Green Bay, he had some legendary post-game gatherings in his basement, in his re- basement rec room where he would serve as a bartender and, and, and make these wonderful drinks. Uh, Landry never touched alcohol. Um, Lombardi, uh, boisterous, uh, a tyrant uh, at practice, uh, yelling he'd call a player down in front of the team. He had no problems. Um, Landry never raised his voice. You, you just find yourself on the bench if you weren't producing. You didn't get chewed out. You didn't get slammed. You didn't get sworn at. You just found yourself out of a job, maybe off the team. Um, you know, Frank Gifford, uh, he was lucky enough to have been coached by both men. He wasn't always a halfback. He was a defensive back, too. 
And uh, and he said Tom Landry's chalkboard sessions were amazing. He he said he was brilliant, but he'd bore you to death. He 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 bore the hell out of you. He said, but uh, but that's how he was. And you know he would actually pass players in the hallway who were hurt, and they they weren't playing that week, and he just passed them by as if he didn't know them. Because he had nothing to say to them, you know. He he was going to use all his speechifying energy to talk to the players who were actually going to help the team, who were actually had to had to uh, um, uh, execute the game plan. So that's the kind of guy he was. Meanwhile, Lombardi, during his time with the Giants, because he changes as a person when he goes to Green Bay, he becomes the head and 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 you know the 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 real despot in green bay uh he was he was kind of like Idi Amin without the massacres um you know um he he but when he was with the giants he was somewhat flexible um he tried to install the west point offense he came from west point as an assistant and he tried to um, uh, install some of the option stuff, the quarterback option stuff he used at West Point. And poor Charlie Connerly, who was about 100 years old by then, um, he doesn't want to run the option because there's a bunch of big hitters across the line. He didn't want to get squashed. So he wouldn't run the option. So, so Lombardi actually went to guys like, Connerly and Gifford and said, what do you guys feel comfortable with? Help me. Help me create a game plan. Help me create a, a playbook that you guys are comfortable with and can have success with. Um, so there was a bit of flexibility there. He would also have players to the house in, in New Jersey. He'd say, he'd say, come on over. We'll, we'll watch film and we'll eat some pizza. And And, you know, Marie, his wife, would put out you know, sandwiches or whatever, and a couple of beers, and they they'd go over his house. Well, needless to say, once he became the coach of Green Bay, there were no more dinners at the house for active players. Uh, he never, you know, he he um, he didn't have that kind of relationship as a professional head coach that he did as a as an assistant. But you know, again, Landry was not that type of guy. He didn't he was not a go out to dinner guy. The closest he ever came to having a player, you know, one on one in a social situation was what he did with Sam Huff, which is recounted in the book. They were living at the um the Grand Concourse Hotel in fifty six. Oh, that's where a lot of Giants players and coaches lived during the season and he would call Huff's room and he'd say, What are you doing? And he'd say, and Huff would say, I'm, I'm just watching TV. He says, good, come on up to my room and we'll look at film. There's something I want to show you. And he would put game film, and for hours they would go over game film, and this is how I want you to play this and that. And this is how Sam Huff learned the middle linebacker position, which was totally revolutionary at the time. Ernie, in sports today, we hear a lot about how certain athletes respond better to certain coaching styles. Now, we all know how, how positively Lombardi and Landry affected so many players. Across your research, did you ever come across or get the feeling that 
some players did not respond so well to either of their coaching tactics? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, there were people. Uh, <laughs> there's a couple of stories in there uh, about uh, uh, Lombardi especially um, tearing a player up during a, a, a film session. Uh, he just got on Mel Triplett, the fullback, big fullback, real bruiser. Um, on one film session, I guess Mel missed a block or something, and he kept replaying it and replaying it and replaying it, and Mel finally stands up and says, you replay that one more time, and you're going to need another fullback. And, you know, he walked out of the room, and Lombardi says to Jack Stroud, geez, I wanted to make him mad, but not that mad. You know, and there was the other story about Lombardi that's 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 also in the book uh, about Alex Webster, and uh, he's getting on, he's getting all over Webster, who he was friends with in the off season. They would go out to dinner together. He's going on and on about Webster, replaying the tape, <laughs> and Alex is sitting back there, and he goes, "Expletive you," only he didn't say expletive. Um, and he says, <laughs> and Lombardi shuts the tape off, puts the lights on. He says, nobody talks to me like that. Webster, I'll meet you out by home plate. This is a Yankee stadium. I'll meet you out at home plate in a half an hour. You be there. And he, and Lombardi was waiting for him. Meanwhile, Webster's teammates are saying, Alex, you can't go out there. You're going to ruin your career. It'll be the end of you. And you know, Alex Retrie went back to the uh, he he went back to the locker room, but he was ready to fight Lombardi, and Lombardi was ready to fight him. It would have been a hell of a scene. Um, and so, Webster was how big compared to Lombardi? Oh God, Webster must outweigh Lombardi by seventy, eighty pounds at that point. You know, it wouldn't have been much of a match. <laughs> you know, but that's the kind of guy Lombardi was. Now, with Landry. You didn't have those types of confrontations because Landry was not that kind of coach. He he would stress the study, and he would say, this is your responsibility. The, I'm giving you the keys. All you have to do is execute the way I tell you, and everything will be okay. Um he was much more low-key, but he had his trouble with, with players later on, like Hollywood Henderson, uh, Dwayne Thomas called him Plastic Man, you know, all that nonsense. And and it wasn't true. He was a very passionate man, but a very calm facade. Um, there's a story there about uh, when Jim Brown, in the 57 uh, um, uh, regular season game, uh, he breaks off a 65-yard run on the first play of the game, and the Giants' defense is 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 racked. They're 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 shaken. They come off the the, and Landry is standing there. He meets them at the sidelines. He he brings them around, and he goes to Jim Cat Cavage, who got who got caught over penetrating on on that. He said, Jim, that was a trap. And that's never going to happen to you again. And Cat Cabbage says, you're damn right it's not. You know? And that's the kind of motivator that Landry was. Very calm. And that was by design, he said. He said, if I'm going crazy on the sidelines, what are my players going to do if they see me? They're going to go crazy, too. I have to remain calm. 
Lombardi, the diametric opposite. Ricky Sobrano and Kyle Kess is talking to Ernie Palladino, Fordham alum, class of 77, and author of the new book, Lombardi and Landry, How Two of Pro Football's Greatest Coaches Launched Their Legends and Changed the Game Forever. We spoke before a little bit about the personality of Lombardi and Landry. Being so opposite, what was their relationship like? It's um, it's kind of... It's kind of hard to put your finger on it because the the opinions on that were were so diverse, uh, almost as diverse as their personalities. Um, and I think that if the book has one failing, it never really gets to the bottom of that just because of those opinions. Alicia Landry told me that they that he loved Lombardi. Uh, the families would get together and she loved how Lombardi laughed and told jokes and everything. Pat Summerall told me there's, he doesn't think they exchanged three words in the course of the season. Um, and Don Smith, the old, um, the old PR guy at the time said, um, told me, he said, I think they lived with each other. In, in other words, they put up with each other. Um, without Jim Lee Howell there serving as a buffer and kind of a separator, I really think they probably would have been at each other's throats. They had two huge egos. And when you have that, uh, it's quite often that they clash, uh, especially on, on two sides of the ball. They were constantly lobbying Jim Lee for, for more practice time for decisions during the game to go their way and such. Um, so I don't think they were great friends. The other thing that, 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 that makes me think that they weren't great friends was that they were never photographed together, really. Uh, there's only one or two pictures of them uh, together, and, and certainly not even uh, after their, uh, their ascendance to head coaches. I couldn't even find an on-field handshake or anything. So I, I think it was more of a competitive respect. I know they respected each other greatly because they both admitted that they learned from each other. But I, as for being friends, I don't think so. I don't think so. And Lord knows when, when they became head coaches, two things gave Vince Lombardi tremendous, tremendous pleasure. Beating the Giants and beating the Cowboys. He would look so forward to those Cowboys matchups because he wanted Landry to know that even though they cheered for his, for Landry's uh, defense at Yankee Stadium, that he was the alpha dog, that he was the star. Uh, speaking of his relationship uh, with the Giants, Wellington Mara is known as one of the most loyal owners, uh, perhaps in the history of sports. Do you think there's any part of Wellington that regretted the way he handled the end of Jim Lee Howell's career in order to maybe uh, help usher in Jim, uh, Vince Lombardi as the yeah. next head coach of the Yeah, there was, there was definitely uh, a, a regretful uh, nature of that. Um, Wellington called it the greatest mistake he ever made, not hiring Lombardi. Um, however, you know, I, I understand first he had loyalty to to Jim Lee, and understandably so. Uh, Lombardi leaves after the 58 season. Um, what do you do with Jim Lee? He's just taken you to two championship games in three years. He's won one, and he's never had a losing season. Suddenly Lombardi gets a uh, an offer from Green Bay, 
how can you keep him from from taking that offer? So Lombardi leaves. Now Jim Lee stays for another year, giving no indication that he's going to step down at all. Um, and they go to another championship game in 59. Well, now you've got a coach who's taking you to three championship games in four years. You're going to fire him to hire an assistant? doesn't matter how great Tom Landry was, and he was being regarded as a genius around the league, but, but he's still an assistant. And you are you going to fire this man that just took you to three championship games in four years? Probably not. Two weeks after after Landry accepts the uh, the Dallas job, Jim Lee says nineteen sixty is going to be my last year. And now Wellington has neither of those guys, and Jim Lee is going to step down after the next year. So it was it was a real fix. Jim Jim left them in. The book is Lombardi and Landry, How Two of Pro Football's Greatest Coaches Launched Their Legends and Changed the Game Forever. Ernie, where can we find the book? Um, it's being sold uh, coast-to-coast in Barnes & Noble, uh, any of those bookstores, Barnes & Noble. Um, and you can uh, also see it in um, uh, BJ uh, Wholesalers and Sam's Club. And, of course, you can get it online through Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. All right. Thanks a lot, Ernie, for joining us. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, guys. It's, uh, this was a pleasure. My thanks to WFUV's Ricky Sobrano and Kyle Kessis, and a special thanks to author Ernie Palladino. This has been Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. Stay with us. George Bodarkey and Cityscaper next. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon. Oh, oh, oh.